Take your Bibles and join me in turning to chapter 5 of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. If you'll follow along as I read, beginning in verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord God, we bow before you this morning, and we bow before your word. You are holy, O Lord God, and your scriptures are holy. You have all authority, and your scripture carries your authority. Lord, let us bow before you and your word today. Let us take it in. Let us do and allow it to do its good work in us. Help from pulpit to pew and all who would listen that we would be hearers of your word and then doers of your word. We ask this in humble weakness to our high priest who understands our weaknesses and we pray for his intercession and his mediatorial help in all of these things, we ask them according to Jesus Christ. And in his name we ask them. Amen. And looking at chapter 5, which I've entitled, Deliver Us from Ignorance. We began by having a high priest pointed out to us again who even in the days of Israel could have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also beset by weaknesses. Building upon that, some very deep discussion was given to us by the writer of Hebrews into the humanity of Jesus Christ and his walk on earth as Savior and his elevation to the high priestly position of the order of Melchizedek. Now, the message changes. 
These are never favorites for pastors to preach because there is always a danger of offense. Offense because God is getting serious in his word with where we are. But he starts with the Hebrews as the primary focus. And so since we honor the word of God, we will preach the whole counsel of God and I set myself that task today. If you allow me, by way of introduction, I remind you that the book of Hebrews is the advanced theology class on the humanity and the person and work of Jesus Christ, with particular emphasis on his high priestly ministry, and it's penned to the people of God, the Hebrews, to Israel's Christian element. It has application to us directly, yet it is in its first giving to this group of people, and there's an expectation that they will have a deep understanding of the Old Testament as these words are given to them. It is a reminder to us that we are sitting in an advanced theology course and we're in the deep end of the pool. And it seems that the writer has gotten very pointed all of a sudden. And in this portion, the Hebrew Christians are given a strong dose. A strong dose of admonishment pointing out to them the four signs of Christian immaturity. The four signs of Christian immaturity so that they may respond in repentance and set their minds and spirits upon the goal of maturation and thereby direct their efforts upon the tasks of Christian maturity. He's been speaking of the great high priest. And now he says this. This Jesus called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, verse 11, of whom, of this Jesus, who is high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom... We have much to say and hard to explain, reason being, since you have become dull of hearing. Aren't you glad you came to church today? The first sign of their immaturity is their dulled sense of hearing. Their dulled sense of hearing is admonished in verse 11. Their dulled sense of hearing is admonished. Let me read that verse again. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. These are the words of God. There is much that needs to be taught to this Hebrew audience about the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. 
and with it, it is hard to explain. We have just come through verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Speaking of Jesus, who in his humanity offered up supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. We've looked at verse 8, and though he was a son, he learned in his humanity obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned as a human learns. And in verse 9, having been perfected, completed, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Already deep theology has been taught, and now he proclaims there's much more to say, and it's hard to explain. He says, you think what you just heard is difficult? Buckle up. It's going to get harder. And many teachings in Scripture are hard. There is a simplicity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is a depth, a complexity to understanding it fully of even who he was as a person, to be totally the Son of God and deity, yet coupled with humanity, is a perplexing, a difficult topic for the human mind to tackle and weigh and keep an appropriate balance. Yet both must be taught. Here, we are being taught, along with the Hebrews, that there are some difficult things in the scriptures and that maturity has to brace itself to study more deeply, to spend more time thinking about it and weighing it, to progress in our understanding. Isn't it true that one of the biggest problems in the evangelical church in the United States of America today is our ignorance? Is our ignorance concerning the very book that God wrote to us and that we have in so many forms, we can read the Bible literally at any point of the given day, even if we don't have a paper book with us. All the electronic downloads, free apps, Whoever thought that from the pulpit, I would say there's a free app you can get from your phone that has the Bible on it. But that's the age in which we live. There is absolutely no excuse for all Christians to not know their Bible and to make it a priority, to not know their Old Testament so that we can be taught with the symbolism of the Old Testament, the Melchizedekian priesthood of Christ of the New Testament we don't. Polling even tells us by those who are professing evangelical Christians that over 50% are not able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ correctly, even in its most simple terms. There is an ignorance. And it has been purveyed from the pulpit. It has been accepted in the pew. Paul even warned in Timothy that there would be a time when Christians would no longer tolerate deep teaching, but would heap up for themselves teachers 
who would tickle their itching ears. We're in that age. And we're seeing the confluence of that age all around us with Christian ignorance. We have to remember it was happening back then too. The writer of the Hebrews, he who is the probably the most accomplished Greek rhetorician, is writing a speech and building toward a pinnacle. And it necessitates you to have a people with a certain amount of scriptural acumen that they have within themselves some sort of purposeful desire to go beyond the simplest of the lowest common denominator of the teachings and reach to where God would have them become mature in their understanding of Jesus Christ and therefore people of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 comes where it comes in this book appropriately as the pinnacle of maturity that is being taught in these deep theological truths up to that point. It's so wonderful to go in and say, we're going to study the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 without prefacing it with the first 10 chapters that came before it. You will never understand Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, 12 and 13 either, without the first chapters laying the groundwork for why it's important to see these people of faith and to try to be like them. What is faith based in? The less you know, the less faith you have. For you don't have the groundwork to go through all the varying situations and challenges of life. So they're dulled in their sense of hearing and they're being admonished. And this dulled sense of hearing, because there is more difficult things to say, reminding them that this is a, a truism of Scripture, even when we turn from that, we remember that there's another apostle who wrote, the apostle Peter often speaking, and sometimes theologically wrong, sometimes theologically right. But it is Peter who, in reflecting upon what Paul had been given to write for God, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you. Now pay attention here. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. Did you hear that? In all his epistles, not some of them. In all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, listen, in which are some things hard to understand. They're hard to understand. Not everything in the Bible is written for the sixth grade mindset. That should not ever be the goal of the church is to speak down to the lowest mindset in the church, but rather to mature the lowest mindset to the highest 
level it might be able to achieve in their understanding of who Jesus is, what he did, and where your faith is placed on those things. But sadly, even in the world of translation, you might be aware that many Bible translators have it in their mind to attempt to translate the Bible from its Greek, its Hebrew, its some Aramaic, into that very age group that I just mentioned. In particular, sixth grade girls. That is commonly done across the face of the world when translating the Bible. And so some of the difficult words, some of the theologically pregnant passages are, if you will, dumbed down to its lowest level, and then people have difficulty understanding them in their fullness because the words are simple words. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. Some of you might be saying, well, isn't it good for every person to have a Bible that they can understand? Isn't it better if they have all the words in their own language that God uttered? Which is important? You might say both. Well, how do we get from the complexity of some of the words that God uses in his scripture, like propitiation, the means by which the wrath of God is satisfied through the blood of Christ and his substitutionary atonement, see how it goes? To Christ stood in your place. suffered the anger of God on the cross. What translators are forgetting is that God designed the church not to rewrite his text, but to explain it, to give the sense of it from the pulpit, from the preaching and the teaching of God's word. The translator cannot stand in the place of those whom God has gifted and whom God has given to the church to explain his word. Otherwise, we cut out that necessary interaction. The God designed. But having done that, we've dumbed down the church. And even at this time, listen to how they're being talked to, whom we have much to say and hard to explain, and you're so dull of hearing, I'm not sure you can get it. I told you this isn't an easy place to preach in Scripture, but here you are today by God's design, and here I am. I cannot avoid it because I preach expositorily. The Melchizedek priesthood of Jesus Christ is a deep teaching. And you have to be aware that in the Hebrew world, there were many teaching from the point of view of Hebrew rabbis against the humanity of a Messiah. Their 
misleading the people in their commentaries because they have a problem with God becoming man. As we're going along here, it seemed to me that the author has begun teaching on these deeper things like in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, and then all of a sudden he senses he's losing his audience. Have you ever been teaching someone and, and you kind of recognize their eyes are sort of glossing over and rolling back in their head? I, I have from here, and, and I'm glad you should be glad I don't write your names down. Uh, <laughs> because sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes I've been that one. And they're speaking, they're like, wait a minute, they've just gone to another level. That's what happened to me and Hebrew exegesis class. At basic Hebrew, I went to the next level, Dr. Barak, who I had known uh, for many years as a missionary in our church and one who translated the Bible into the Bengali language. And I found him in his first year at Master's Seminary, the same year I showed up, and it was so delightful then to have him as my instructor. And I'll never forget then my second year, I walk into his class, and it's Hebrew exegesis, and he starts talking. And I'm in trouble. And I'm looking around to see, is anyone else in trouble? And I felt like I was back in high school, back in the days when I didn't study. But I'd just taken Hebrew and I thought I was prepared. And I remember writing on a piece of paper, this is how quickly I regressed in immaturity. And I wrote on it to my good friend who always sat to my right. I wrote, what time is football practice? <laughs> and passed it over to him. I realized something had just happened. That, that, that We went from this level to this level. And I was writing down words to look up later. So I didn't have to raise my hand and look like the ignorant Montana buffoon that I was. So I understand. But I'm unsympathetic. As unsympathetic as Dr. Barrick was to me, my beloved instructor, the bar was high. I'll never forget writing the translations for that class. Every day there was a translation due. And I was thankful of one thing. That Jeff Epperly sat at the end of my table. And the three other guys in between him and me were also glad that Jeff Epperly sat at the end of the table. For every morning, we had to pass our translations across to the middle aisle where he would pick up our translations. The fellow that sat to the left of Jeff Epperly would look at Jeff Epperly's on his own and put Jeff's on top. The guy next to him would take Jeff Epperly's paper and look at his own and keep Jeff's on top. The guy next to him, the guy next to him, by the time it got to me, I was sure Jeff's goes on top so that mine wouldn't be seen. At least not till later. He had footnotes in his translation for crying out loud. 
My footnotes, well, would have been something like this. Well, I kind of guessed on that one. I hope it's right. Please forgive me, Dr. Barrick. And so there are times when you get out of your comfort zone in learning about God. But if you are going to surmount it, and by the way, God in his grace got me through Hebrew exegesis. Don't come up and ask me my grade. I won't tell you. I'm not going to tell you why either. God is faithful. God is a teacher. And we as his students, his disciples, that's what it means to be a disciple, is to be a student, a learner. That is the definition of methetes. We're learners. And at certain times in our study of the Bible, it is going to be hard to explain. But we may not dumb it down. We must lift it up. And climb to meet it. And then we will learn worship. And then we will learn relationship. And then we will have faith at another level. I realize in looking at the clock that I've already waxed more eloquent on point 1A than I should have. So let's move on to point 1B. When losing his audience, he now is bringing an admonition Because their dullness inhibits the teacher's ability to explain, but it also inhibits the learner's ability to understand. Their ability to understand. He says, so you have become, listen, dull of hearing. A very important grammatical construct here comes to us in the Greek. This, you have become. Have become is an aorist perfect indicative. That's not edifying. What is edifying is this. That means that it is a present state or condition, this dullness of hearing, that has been produced by past actions. So the way in which they have listened in the past is now affecting the way in which they're able to hear and understand in the present. He could be saying, along with my mother, when she as well was unsympathetic to my cries for easier classes, you did this to yourself. If you had just used your head for something other than a hat rack, you'd be fine. See, that was my mother's love toward me. And it was true. For the majority of my life, that's why I've told you many times I'm so surprised to be where I am today because I was not a scholastic. I did not want to be a scholastic. I admired nobody in scholasticism, and I would rather play football. But God had other plans. And then he works on those things. They've been dull of hearing, a purposeful resistance because this word dull is nathros in the Greek. It means to be hard of hearing, to be lazy in your hearing, to be sluggish, or slow to respond spiritually to what you hear. Of course, a great uh, old King James Version word means to be slothful in your hearing, 
Those poor sloths. I don't think they mean to go slow. I think they're designed to, but humans were not. Especially in regard to hearing. It means to be like hard of hearing. It's not that you can't hear the words. You just don't work on understanding them. They have pursued a pattern of dullness of hearing, of laziness in their listening. And they have lost the will, the drive, or as we call it now, the attention span. You know how many times I've been told that I preach too long? Not by you folks as well. God bless your little hearts. Because the American attention span can't last that long. When did God ever say that? Paul preached so long, a guy sitting in the window was overcome by smoke and fell out the window, died, and he resurrected him from the dead so that he could come back in and listen some more. I'm in real trouble now, aren't I? If we listen to what the world would tell us, we will never teach deep in church because the world says the human can only listen for a commercial length of time. I know that to be a lie straight from the pit that wants you to be dull of hearing by way of practice. But it is a common pattern with God's people to be of a spiritual state of dullness in their hearing. There are difficult teachings, and if you're going to grow up in Christ, if you're going to grow up in Christian maturity, you're going to have to skip football practice and study. In Hebrews, again and again, we have been reminded, the Hebrews have been reminded, today in verse 7 of chapter 4, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A repetition of what had been in chapter 3, verse 15. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Even Paul, when he was in Rome, in Acts chapter 28, a prisoner of the Lord, he was under house arrest in Rome. And he had a Roman legionnaire as his guard. And he calls the Jewish leaders to himself in Rome to talk to them, to give them the reasons for the trial situation that he was in, the reason he'd appealed to Rome and the Roman law to hear his case, for he was falsely accused. And he reminded them, he said, for, for the hope of Israel, he told them, I am bound to this chain for the hope of Israel. Later on in Acts 28, verse 23, we read, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified to the kingdom of God. Listen, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Hear me now, you know I was building to a crescendo. From morning till evening. So in this case, I'm not even in it. 
From morning till evening, he taught them these things. In verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. And listen, some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul. And after Paul had said one word, and what was that word? The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, here is an admonishment. This is a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 6 that Paul is now going to give to the Jewish leaders in Rome itself. For their disbelief, for their dullness of hearing, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. For their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. They become dull slothful, lazy in their hearing. Paul goes on to say, wasn't that a nice end to the message? Therefore, he said, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Do you know the group that was most resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in human form, who died on the cross for sin to deliver Israel and all who would believe? His own people, he came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. The very people who were waiting for a Messiah, when the Messiah came, said, that can't be him. Why are they in that condition? They are dull of hearing because they've already decided what he will be like and what he will do in their own minds apart from Scripture. And even when Scripture was open to teach them, they would not hear it. It makes it hard for them to respond to even the best teaching because they have become dull of hearing. That's the first sign of Christian immaturity. Roman numeral two. The second sign of immaturity in the third and the fourth come under this heading. Their infantile mindset censured. Their infantile mindset censured. Look at verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says, You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so letter A, the second sign of immaturity, they are censored for a marked lack of progress. A marked, a noticeable lack of their maturing progress. For though by this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. By this time, you ought to be teachers. I think this is maybe not the way to win friends and influence people. But it is the way to win friends in Christ 
and influence Christians. How do I know this? Because it's in my Bible. He realizes he's losing them. And he is bringing them back in through an admonishment and pointing out the obvious that if you're going to get the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus Christ, you are going to have to grow up. You should be teachers by now. And you know, it finally hit me. I've been reading in this text and reading and reading. And I just told the pastoral interns, Hayden Talon, this last week, I saw something. And so guess what I'm going to preach? What I discovered, having seen something differently just from saturation with the word of God. And it's this. By this time. By this time. I'm constantly telling these young men, write down everything in every verse. Observe everything and ask every question you can ask about that. And in teaching them, <laughs> I ask this question myself. What time is he talking about? By this time you ought to be teachers. What time is that? How much time is that? What are we, what is our reference here? I thought, well, maybe this is one of those really difficult Greek words. I better look this thing up because it might really give me some understanding. You know what the Greek word is? Chronos. You know what it means? Time. Thank you. Very common, very general time. By this time, this period of time, so I don't understand this. Is this referring to the first hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ until now? Is it a time reference to some previous teaching given to them that they should now have assimilated and understood? Or is it? As I take it to be, and this isn't the common understanding. See, usually what happens right here is that preachers, even in evangelical churches, lose sight of the Hebrews and bring it into the evangelical Gentile church. But we may not. Why? Well, there's a title on this book, To the Hebrews. And he's been talking about all the Hebrew stuff. Hebrew high priests coming from men, called only by God. Chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Jesus Christ, coming from man, called by God, living as a man. And so now when he says of this high priest Melchizedek, by this time you ought to be teachers, he is speaking specifically to Hebrews. And what is it about the Hebrews that they have had, that they possess, that they know other than all other peoples on the face of the earth that would make them able to teach on the subject of high priests? And even Melchizedek. They have the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. They have Moses. Moses even who said of himself and through God's inspiration where he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses. Him they'll hear. From among them, a human. 
This is the Hebrews. They've had the text of Scripture. They should be saturated with the Old Testament, and this should not be something that a teacher has to tell them about because they should be teaching it as Hebrew Christians. He says you ought to be. That means you have an obligation. It's a financial term, like a contract. You've made a contract with God. You're in a contract with God. And as Hebrews, you should know this stuff and teach this stuff. It's your duty. You've been at it long enough to be teachers, and it's specific to the Hebrews themselves. But they have a noticeable resistance to enlightenment because they're stuck in their misconceptions concerning Christ the human. Christ the man as a high priest. This difficulty remains till today with Hebrews. Hebrews don't object to Jesus Christ being identified as the Son of God, as deity. You know what they object to? They object to this reality. Jesus died. And if he's God, they say, God can't die. And that is why they have so much problem, even from their own text, even from Zechariah, who speaks in these terms. If you'll go there, or if not, just listen, and I'll point it out to you. In Zechariah, the prophet, and by the way, he's a post-exilic prophet, meaning this is after they came back, then the temple's rebuilt, and they're back in the land, and this is being prophesied. In Zechariah 12, verse 10, God says through Zechariah, listen, the personal pronoun, I. Verse 10, and I, God, will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. This is prophetic teaching about the coming one about Messiah, and he is pierced. There's no getting around this word. It is death, death, death. I thought about giving you several verses where it's used that proves it's death. I'm just going to tell you it's death because don't look at the clock. We're running out of time. Because you become, oh no, I didn't say that. <laughs> they, every one of the non-believing Hebrew rabbis say this can't mean God died. He starts identifying himself. I will pour out my spirit. I'll pour the house. The spirit of grace and supplication. I, God, will do this. They will look on me, whom they pierced. God. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Listen. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plains of Megiddo. Why the mourning? Because of their dullness of hearing, they missed their Messiah when he came. Because they stumbled over his humanity. 
that it took a man to die on the cross in his humanity. Yes, he remained deity, but he had laid aside the voluntary use of all his divine attributes and walked as a man. And in doing that, he can be our high priest who walked as a man, who can identify himself as a man, who was weak as a man, who learned as a man, who suffered as a man, who learned obedience as a man. Can you hear this, Israel? And they refuse. It is Paul who said of the Hebrews in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, these words. Paul says, but we preach Christ, listen, what? Crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. God can't die. Theologically, they have that hardwired into their mind that if he's God, he can't die. And they're right. The deity of Christ did not die. But in his humanity, he died. So explain that to me more, Pastor. Boy, I'd like to. Maybe I'd become dull of hearing. But think about it. This is where it's advanced theology. We get beyond ourselves, yet we accept the truth because God has said it so clearly. To the Jews, the crucifixion of Christ is a stumbling block, but don't leave them out. And the Greeks, it is foolishness. That covers all people. But to those who are called, listen, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And here's the kicker. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, even than our dullness God can bring us through, to faith and then to maturity. Don't forget that even Jesus Christ's own disciples having walked with him for three years, struggled with the death of Christ. They struggled to hear it, to accept it. For them, the kingdom was coming. James and John, hey, Ma, go ask Jesus if me and James can sit on one hand and the other in the kingdom. And they said to him at other times, will you now bring in the kingdom? They saw no separation of time from the coming of the Messiah they believed in and the kingdom that he would establish. It was here. Woohoo! And then Jesus taught them of his death. In Luke 24, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You're slow. You're dull of hearing. You're dull of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, Luke 24, ought not the Christ to have, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? Knowing this, you ought to be teachers. This is what the Bible has been saying. This is what the Old Testament has been predicting. Like a lamb to the slaughter, he would go with no protest. And beginning, verse 27, Luke 24, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. 
Jesus himself expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He didn't say, that's okay, you're not getting it. He said, nope, you have need of teaching. And here I am. Now listen. Now listen. And he gave them remedial training. They were censored for their manifest need of remedial training. And that I'm going to teach on next Sunday. The Lord is gracious because he warns us. He's gracious to Israel in warning them. He's gracious to us in warning us. We are weak. We are ignorant, but we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who is at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So it is with this high priest that this admonishment comes. So we are not undone. Oh my goodness, pastor was tough on us today. I'm not going back next week. The first two were bad enough. Gives us three and four. I'm going to be done for. No, we trust by faith that God will teach us. Through the admonishments as well as the commendations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Intercede for us, Lord, with prayers the correct hours. Ask of the Father those things that we need most, not the things we think we want the best. Show us our immaturity and drive us to maturity, yes, Lord, even through these harsh corrections. May we join our brothers and sisters in faith, not being complacent in our learning, but desiring for you to teach us to the highest level so that we might worship you to the very heavens and proclaim you to a lost world. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say it. Amen. You are dismissed.